0: Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer podcast.
1: If you are enjoying the show, and I hope you are, I wanted to mention our Patreon because that is the best thing that you can do to support the show if you are so inclined. Patrons get access to every podcast a week early without any of the ads. There's also members only channels in the discord that I am super active in. I do Q and A's, I do some giveaways. And for everyone who has asked, there's also a way to have me review your music or artwork, or anything else that you would like to get my eyes or ears on. Every month, I do a call for submissions on Patreon. You post your work in the comments, and then I will review it live on Twitch, and then post them to YouTube for everybody on Patreon as well. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, there's a link to that in the show notes for this podcast. Billy, welcome to the show. Really excited. I've been a fan for uh, probably about 30 years now, so I'm really excited to have you on. Dude, thank you for having the time to promote my new fucking record
2: that I'm so, so fucking psyched about. It's been two years locked up in a studio and at home during COVID, and I'm finally getting it out. It just hit the stores on Friday. It's called Leaders and Liars. So thank you for your time, bro.
1: Of course. Yeah, we were just listening to it. And uh, honestly, it's really good. I, and I, I would not say that if I didn't mean it. It's like really good. And it kind of reminds me of like, uh, it's like something from 1986 in a good way with, like, better production, like, it almost reminds me of, like, the Sick It All 7-inch or something.
2: <laughs> Dude, I love you. Your shows are so awesome. You you have this, I'm, I, you should have a tag, no filter, because you're super <laughs> honest and straightforward. I don't get that, but that's cool. I love, I'm a big fan of Sick of It All. I think this record is a little bit, for me, it's a little bit more metal and heavier.
1: It, it is a little bit more, yeah, yeah. Maybe like the maybe like the first album, where they everyone said they were too metal.
2: <laughs> I never said they were too metal, but
1: I... I no, but, but lots of people did. Did they? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you, I mean, you guys got that more than anyone. Yeah, we did. I always
2: looked at us like we were kind of like, I don't know if it's bad to say these days, but like the redheaded stepchild. You know, like we, we liked punk rock, metal, and hip hop, and we mixed it all together when in a world where it wasn't cool. You couldn't do that. And suddenly everybody right. who liked those types of music were like, dude, I like biohazard and I like Onyx and I like, you know, Public Enemy and Beastie Boys and Slayer and all. So it's, it was okay to suddenly like different types of music.
1: And that seems obvious now, but, you know, back then it was, it was not. But I do want to talk about the new album before he, uh, I, I don't want to go talk about the old days forever. Cause I want to make sure we talk about the new album. Um, you, you said Thank you've been working on this for two years. You know, you got a lot of other stuff going on. What inspired you, to make another album. This is your second solo album, right?
2: It's my second solo record under Billy Bio. I kind of look at it like I was always a solo guy, even right. though with Bio, I said, but I would always bring in songs, finished songs, recorded like Tales from the Hard Side or Punishment, songs that were actually on demo. Even on a re release of Urban Discipline, we released recently. There's a version of a song I wrote called Business that's like a demo. It's a drum machine. It sounds like old school early hip hop with a drum beat you know, from a drum machine, but we would put it through with biohides. We would put it through something we call the meat grinder when everybody got a chance to put their two cents in with the solo stuff. I feel like, you know, it's like this thing. It's like, you have um, a painting, you have this vision in your head, you paint, you put it on canvas, you hang it on the wall. You don't invite your friends over, give them a beer and a, a paintbrush with some paint and say, go ahead and change it whatever you want. You know? So that for me is, it's almost like it's, it's a pure representation of what and who I am, what I have inside. And that vision, I like being able to paint, you know, hang on the wall and, and see what was in my head purely captivated um, or captured and authentically representing w- what my feelings are. Not to be all deep and philosophical, but that's as an artist, that's what it is. That's what we like to do and we put ourselves out there. I don't look at it like, to go back to your initial question, I don't stop and say, okay, time to make a record. I've never been like that. I'm I'm a more I'm a creative where I'm always writing. I'm always working on new ideas. And there's always there's always soup on my stove. And it's and sometimes this soup is a little bit more ready than another soup or another dish. Sometimes it needs a little bit more salt or just needs a simmer a little bit longer. But there comes a point where whatever I'm working on, these songs kind of gravitate together and it jumps off the table and says, Yo, we're ready. Call your friends over because we're ready to eat there was a point, and I love that in every different chapter of my creative life, where those songs magnetize and jump off the table. And and at one point, they all said, we're called leaders and fucking liars. But you know, my point is, it's, it's like, there was so it wasn't like I was just working on these songs for two years, but I'm always writing and recording. And there during the pandemic, we came home from tour, I was on tour with with Agnostic Front, Gorilla Biscuits, H2O, Wisdom and Chains. It was the last tour that I think the underground music scene did. It was an amazing, awesome time. We came home. I had an EP that I was going to release, and I, I said, Yeah, I'm just going to work on, you know, work, continue working on these songs. And that ended up, um, you know, those songs, like I say, gravitated together and became Leaders and Liars.
1: Right. Um, and on the one hand, it's cool to kind of have uh, full creative control and not have to make any compromises. On the other hand, you know, it's also cool to get input from other people who are good musicians and can add something. Is there any of that that you miss? Or at this point, do you, are you like, no, nah, I'm fucking good. I don't need anyone else.
2: Not to sound like an egomaniac, but it's not like I don't need anybody else. It's that I, I think I became prolific enough in capturing what my ideas are and taking them from the inside and put them out on a, on a, on the canvas, so to speak, quote unquote. I don't like diluting it. That's a better way of looking at it.
1: Right. I really like the drumming on this album. How how like detailed? Do you, like, do you program everything and just say play this, or uh, I know you've worked with that drummer quite a bit. Um, how do you approach that? So, my it's pretty
2: cool. I did. A, um, I have a Patreon, Billy Biohazard. That's a lot of my patrons. They it's like family, obviously, but they watch this uh, this leaders and liars take form, and I shared a, a, um, a version of a song that I ended up doing with Toby from H2O. The song is called One Life to Live. But I documented, like I would put the phone down and be sitting in my living room playing acoustic guitar. And I would, it it basically the song kind of unfolds over these like six episodes that I release on on Patreon. But it's pretty interesting how, it shows how I kind of like to work. Even though there's not a formula, um, sometimes I go in and I have, however the, the idea is born, I end up in the studio and sometimes i sit behind the drum kit and play the drums and then i record it and then i tweak it a little bit edit it because i'm not a great i'm not even a good drummer but i know what i have good
1: enough to sketch out the idea
2: yeah and on that song um sometimes i sit there with a drum machine and i play uh, like finger drums um so i did that with that song which was pretty cool but it doesn't matter where the idea where the seed or how the seed is planted and how it's cultivated. I always bring in my guys later. Once I have the vision, it's not even a sketch. It's actually a finished version, but then we sit down and I, I show it to Fred who's my brother. He played we play together in power flow also. And, and Fred and I, I show them the songs. I very protective. Like I don't, I don't email anybody copies of songs. I bring, bring the guys in, we jam it, jam the idea out. And they, they give me the respect of, no, they know, I know what I want. And they, They let me um, they can help me keep that initial vision intact.
1: Right. Well, I I thought it was really interesting how hardcore the album sounds just because, you know, you've been doing this for a long time. and, And most people, you know, you expect someone who's been making this kind of music for so long. Oh, this is my singer songwriter album. And, you know, that's cool. Bust out the acoustic guitar. And this is like, wow, this is like maybe the most like straightforward, hardcore thing you've ever done since like the first Biohazard album, maybe. Um, that was really interesting to me and it's fucking good.
2: Thank you, dude. I, I appreciate it. I, you know, like, you can't do music these days for money. I never started this. And I remember Evan's parents, um, said to us, you, you, you guys, you're going to make some money from this cause you're playing the wrong music. And i are like, no, it's not about making money. Um, and it's always been not even after i never paid attention to the business. I still don't. I probably would have been financially more successful But it's never been about that. To me, like I believe focus on your art, work on your craft, express yourself how you want to express yourself. Everything will fall in place if it needs to. If not, at least you're true to your art. And that's always been my focus. Hearing things like that, that people get what I do, really hits home. I don't create anything for anyone else but myself. And I think having that focus enables me to, I don't know, maybe hit a nerve with people. It's worked um, the way I do it. You know, for so many years, no regrets, no apologies. I love what I do, and um, I'm always humbled and and you know to hear things like that. So I like it. it; means more to me than you know having a gold record on my wall and and shit like that.
1: But you do. I would say State of the World is probably the best selling hardcore album of all time. If if you want to call it hardcore, some people would, some people wouldn't.
2: Yeah, I love that record. It's a, it is a proud moment. We sold a lot of records for a record
1: label. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah,
2: that's the business side and looking in retrospect now, back on uh, my music career, it's always like record companies are kind of like a vessel for us to get our creativity out to the world. The motivation for them is selling, I guess, and and I understand the business and I kind of use that um, for my, to, you know, for a way for me to get my art out there.
1: right. Well, I, I wanted to ask about a couple songs in particular just because uh, it, it was just cool to hear the sound like uh, Generation Kill is maybe my favorite one. It, it kind of reminded me of like Carnivore.
2: Awesome. That's great. There's Here's the thing about art. And this is a beautiful thing. It doesn't matter what medium it is. When you look at a Picasso painting or a Monet or whatever – you know, even my, the crew eyebrows, my buddy from New York who did the artwork for the record. When I stand and look at his artwork, for example, he didn't stand next to me telling me what he meant by the artwork. So it's, the interpretation is never wrong. It's always right. I do agree. Hardcore punk rock is, and metal has always been a big influence of mine, but I started studying piano and playing piano at six years old. My mother helped me, my uncle, and my grandfather were, were giant, giant influences of me in, in music and my father's record collection from Emerson Lake and Palmer to Yes Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones then i fell in love with punk rock so all these great influences that were installed in me probably when i was younger they all come out in different ways in my music so sometimes i think some people will hear oh this is like blackout i get a lot of people that's opening track it's the last single i did before the record came out it's so the first track of the record called blackout a lot of people are like oh it reminds me a lot of like biohazard feeling cool cuz i was one fourth of biohazard and and that influence is obviously there. There's something about the record "Leaders and Liars" that that it's something there for everybody. I think it. You know, obviously, if you're a country fan, you're not going to like my music,
1: but <laughs> probably not.
2: You know, if <laughs> probably not, definitely not. Although I like Johnny Cash.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if you don't like Johnny Cash, there's definitely something wrong with you. Another song that I thought was interesting was "Leaders and Liars," which almost has a little bit of that like street punk oi kind of feel to it, which is normally a so- a sound that. Like, I don't really like, but, you know, we were listening to Punishment earlier and I thought I'm not surprised that Biohazard was the band that kind of rose above all the rest of them because the songwriting is just so much fucking better. And hearing you talk about your kind of influences with, you know, everything from like piano to ELP and stuff, you know, it seems like you have a much broader palette that you're drawing from than probably most people who just listen to other hardcore bands.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm never one to sit outside and cast stones at other people.
1: Yeah, it's not a bad thing. Yeah,
2: one of my favorite records was Victim in Pain. I remember hearing that first opening chord from Agnostic Front on their first record, and it was out of tune. And then I became friends with those dudes and being on tour with them, having Vinny Stigma. He's tuning a guitar between songs. He turns to me, and the guitar's a little bit out of tune. And I wanted to say, no, it's not there. It's not in tune yet. And he interrupted me and said, close enough for hardcore. And I was like, Yes. That was hardcore and punk rock ethic, different from metal, but metal still had that same attitude. It was like, it's not about perfection. It's about attitude first. Energy. Energy, vibe. And Leaders and Liars has that, not just on the title track. Generation Kill, it's a song that's a, a fast, fierce fucking song about something that's fast and furiously destroying our culture. I think disliking or unliking somebody because they think different from right. you or believe in something different to you is a, is very destructive to our culture and our world.
1: I mean, I'm sure it's always been there to some extent, but I mean, I remember years ago, I knew people from, you know, you'd go hang out with vegans and Krishnas and metalheads and people who had like wildly different belief systems and it was fine. And now it's like, if you don't agree with all the 10 things I believe, then I hate you. You're the enemy. Yeah.
2: I think that's way more destructive. I I fell in love with the subculture in a time when I really needed to feel like I belonged because I felt like I didn't belong. And that's, I think what draws us all to the underground music scene and you can call it whatever. It can be the punk scene, hardcore
0: scene,
2: or or the metal scene or whatever, but it's that feeling of family that we fall in love with. And what unites us is having that same belief. Like, Hey, you like this, but I like this, but we also like this. And that makes this that's you that's unifying on similar beliefs and respecting differences. But our culture has changed so much, and I'm not with that. I, I think that it, it hurts more than helps. And there's things that I believe and I will die and fight for, but I also don't want to live in a world where everybody believes what, what I believe in, or or say, let's say for music, I don't want I love Metallica and I love anthrax. And I also love Cro-Mags and the Agnostic Front and Turnstile. But if everybody in the world liked those bands, there wouldn't be anything else. Right. And I, I want to get turned on to the next big. I want to get turned on to the next new thing, and that is what turns the world in a beautiful, awesome, positive way. When you disrespect that, or, or actually when you don't have respect for being um, holding a different belief than somebody else, or having respect for them having a different belief than you, that's not positive, not forward thinking.
1: No, it sure isn't. And it's like, it's, it's more than just making life unpleasant. It's actually like a serious risk to society because this is when people like fight, you know, the people are ready to kill each other over the most trivial shit, you know, that they probably never even, they never even sat down and talked to someone that they disagree with to figure out why. Like, for example, like my dad was a corrections officer. And so I hear all these people and my stepmom was too. So, you know, I, I encounter lots of these ACAB people who go on and on about how, and lots of my friends are cops and, you know, go on about how bad cops are and rah, rah, rah. I'm like, all right, well, you know, my, my family was in corrections. Do you know any cops? Have you ever talked to one? Did you ever even try?
2: Exactly. dude. It's like racism. I I remember, you know, we, we grew up fighting um, not to pull this card, but, but
1: actually fighting Nazis
2: for real, for real going down. I remember when we played this one show and it's (laughs) just, these kids and it was like maybe it was biohazard sick of it all and share in share Terra and allentown pennsylvania there was like maybe 1200 1300 1500 kids i don't remember but it it, it was
1: a massive crowd. and allentown was like full of, that was like hammer skins i don't know who they were but
2: you, when you see even though out of out of 1500 people if you see a group of 10 kids like doing seek kyle putting their arms like like hitler i'm like what the fuck is this this is right. insane see we said something they tried to beat up one of our friends chris from dc he got back on stage and, and we made an announcement. He said, yo, keep your fucking bullshit politics out of here. This is all about being you know, family and believing in similar things. And keep your keep the politics, keep the bullshit out of here. These kids didn't want to hear that. I jumped off the stage, go to the between the stage and the barricade. And all these eight dudes ran right to me. They're doing this. And one kid put his fingers right in front of my mouth. And bro, he had black, I remember, I'll never forget this. He had black leather driving gloves and I bit his hand like a fucking pit bull and I'm shaking like, bah, I spit his hand out like, come on, motherfucker. And they, they wanted to kill me, but I stood my ground. I was like, fuck you, man. Half of bio has is Jewish. You got to fucking do that shit. You got to deal with fucking consequences. I don't believe. And I also believe this. Here's the other thing. I also believe it's your right to believe in what you want to believe. That's what makes our, our, our country um, as unique and special. In, in a lot of places, you can't air your views.
1: Right.
2: I believe that if you're against the government, it's your right to say you're against the government. It's your right to say it online if you're against the government. I've been doing it my whole life in in my music. Don't censor people. I'm not for neo-Nazis coming to my backyard and doing that crap. And I, I will stand up against them because it's not what I believe in. And I'm not gonna say it's also their right to believe in that shit, but you get my point.
1: Yeah, there's, I mean, there are certain things that are not acceptable and you also have to give people a chance to change. Maybe they thought something stupid when they were 16. Uh, maybe they got, you know, I know someone who was involved with when he was like 13, he was involved with like a skinhead gang and stuff. He's like 40 now. And it's been a long time. So he didn't even really believe it then. But there's people who still hold it over his head. They're like, oh, when you were 13, you know, you hung out with these guys They're like, yeah, 27 years ago, you know, And but they want to hold it over your head and and refuse to give people a chance to change or, or correct their mistakes.
2: Bro, early days of biohazard. I was addicted to heroin and did crystal meth. I got, I became straight and got was a straight-edge kid um, and, and kicked all that shit. I was more interested in music. But we all have ups and downs in life, and it's how you deal with those obstacles that that put you on a better path or a more destructive path. And it's one or two ways you're going to go. So what you mentioned before about having knowing cops and having police in your, your family, it's the same concept. I remember having this conversation with this kid, and... It was a different show a different tour a different part of our career but the kid said something stupid or, or did something i can't remember we end up in the backstage talking to this kid i remember there was a fight with one of our friends and he said hey i want to apologize i'm i i do not just like your friend because he's black we have no problem with black it's, it's and he said and pardon my but to, to, to relay the story properly he said it's not the blacks it's the jews that we don't like i'm like what do we? mean we and what do you mean what are you, Jewish people. You have problems with Jewish people. Now, first, you had a problem with my friend because he's black. Now you have a problem with Jewish people. Evan stands up and who's Jewish from it, And he comes over and he's like, what'd you say? <laughs> I said, tell me how he, had, he doesn't have problems with my boy who's black. He has a problem with Jewish people. And Evan goes, I'm Jewish. What's your problem? He goes, oh, no, 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 no. It's not all Jewish people. It's just the Jewish people who own banks. So the point was in this kid, after talking to this kid, Right. And, and they came, he came down and stripped it down very minimally. And he said, listen, reality is I don't know any black people. I don't know any Jewish people. I grew up in middle, whatever town we were in, it was like Ohio or something. He said, my father, my grandfather, they grew up hating so many people.
1: They just told me this stuff. Yeah.
2: And it's what I, all I know. And I was like that bingo, that's what it is. So what I love about the new generation and every generation, I love the aspect of each generation that goes out and tries to make change. My daughter, when BLM was blowing up, making a lot of noise, my daughter said to me, hey, pop, um, I saw that you shared this this post or that post. Awesome. Good for you. I said, you know what I stand for. You know what I believe in. I said, I'm always up for the people who, who want to make the world a better place than when they left it or than when they came here. So my daughter, the one specific thing, she, she she and I know I talk about shit, bro. I don't give a fuck. You're going to cancel me, cancel me. But when when BLM was anti-police and started talking about defunding the police, right? as much respect I have for people standing up for those who can't stand up for themselves and, and trying to make a change for the better, I didn't agree with that. My daughter pushed me and said, you got to post about this. I'm like, you know what? I'm not for defunding the police. You know, we own a home. We pay taxes. I, I invest in the community. I like to make the world a better place. And and she's busting my balls. And I said, hold off a second. Let me tell you something. I said, you know what? I do. I've done more to change the world for a better place than, than all your friends' parents put together. She goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, besides, you know what I stand for. You know what I've done with my music. You know what I write about. That aside, I raised you. And she looked at me. She's like, what do you mean you raised me? I said, you're your own person. You believe in what you believe in. And you're trying to make the world a better place. I said, in essence... In all due respect, it's like I kind of clone myself, not in my beliefs, but I made another human that is fighting for what she thinks is right. And even if you, I disagree with you, I love the fact that you stand up and fight for what you believe in. Every generation has that faction to it. And I love that. There's a song called One Life to Live. And I put my daughter and all her friends in this video. We were so just one, watching it. Yeah, it's one camera shoot. It's super creative and different for me. And I got the idea from Good fellows where just one continuous shot and it worked, but it's that YOLO vibe. like, And the, the younger generation, Generation Z is what they call it now. But in, you and I, when we were coming up, we were part of that generation where we said, fuck that. Times Square P- Park laid on fire because the cops were trying to shut the shit down. So... I love that. And every generation needs those, those people, those leaders who are not asking for your vote, but that are standing next to you, putting your, their arm around you saying, yes, we need to make a change, not vote for me because I'll make a change.
1: Right, right. Give me more power and money and I promise I'll do the right thing. Bingo. Yeah. No, I, I love seeing the kids. It reminds me so much. I was into, you know, earth crisis and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I still am, but like that was kind of my scene. And uh, so I would go, you know, protest first doors and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I love seeing, you know, kids that are like 19 years old doing that same kind of stuff. Now, um, I don't agree with everything they say or do, but like you said, I just think it's cool to see people out there trying to make the world a better place and do something that they like, they're doing something that they believe is right. They're trying to make the world a better place. And, you know, I support that whether I agree with everything they're saying or doing or not, Yep. it's just the, the spirit of it is, is what I like fight for change. Exactly. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lambgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamb Van Flip Podcast. This
0: is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week, I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snider and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and -and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Krista Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday.
1: And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. One other song we were listening to earlier, which I wanted to ask you about an older song that people bring up to me a lot is uh, Slam from the Judgment Night soundtrack. I didn't really, I mean, I remembered that when it came out and I liked it, but that that made more of an impression on people than I remembered. Like people bring that up to me all the time now.
2: So Slam is a really awesome point in our career. We were on tour with Sick Vidal and I got a call and I don't know how it happened, but the guys in Onyx reached out to me and asked me to do a remix of their song. And they and that was my beginning of my career as a producer and working in the studio. And so I did um, this remix and it came out great. I had um, sampled Danny from Biohazard Drums and I played all these heavy guitar riffs and erased all their stuff. And then that became a friendship. That song was really big. They called it Bionics and it came out great. That friendship is funny because Fred Rowe just reached out to me yesterday and I just did. I have something I'm brewing with those guys. And and from that era that I, I'll talk about what is done. I never talk about things I'm going to do. I always tell you about what I did. But sure. That aside, it was a great time. We ended up that friendship grew into another song that we did for the movie Judgment. Now we did the Tyler track, which is a banging fucking track that you all should check out. It was a, it was a great era.
1: Oh, that's that, that's what I meant. Not yeah, not, I meant uh, Judgment Night, on Slam, but Slam also. We did
2: yeah, both tracks were Byrd songs with them. They and then that through that we also were tight with the Cypress Hill camp. Send Dog, I have Power Flow with. But the thing about Byrds, we grew we grew up in not just rods, but we a big influence was everybody from Beastie Boys to Sugar Hill Gang and, and you know, Public Enemy and Run DMC and Iron Maid and Agnostic Front, Crow mags even even Earth Crisis you mentioned love them. We we shared a big common interest in. Um, to me, I would say it's a conspiracy theory, but this activist named um, Williams Bill Cooper wrote a book called Behold the Pale Horse. Uh-huh. He was a military dude. Guys, do do it. Do yourself a favor, everybody listening. Google William Cooper. If you could pick up one of his writings called Behold the Pale Horse, it's it's eye opening.
1: I never. I remember the book. I never read it. I know Carl was a big fan of him, but.
2: They eventually got him. The Patriot came out after September 11th and it enabled them to go onto his property and, and eventually successfully kill him. Um, and they got him. So usually anybody who sticks their head above the, cr- the crowd, people are going to throw rocks at it. And when you're subversive, and you're writing about, uh, maybe I'm getting too crazy here.
1: <laughs> go for it. Be crazy.
2: There was a funny time in my life. My brother was riding in New York with my pop, going down the street, and this kid on a skateboard, um Ollie's over the curb, zips across the street. My pop swerves out of the way and starts cursing. What the fuck? Look at this kid. He's got a green mohawk and a leather jacket with American flag torn up. he just like insulted this kid on a skateboard. And my brother turns to him and says, Pop, that was Billy. <laughs> my pop was like, What the fuck is what's wrong with him? And I had left home and living on my own, squatting with friends. And I was this disenfranchised punk rock kid who had all the interests to the world and the problems. And my pop reached out to me soon after and and took me out to lunch. It was a free lunch. And I was like, cool, pop. I get to go to some nice restaurant, fill my belly with good food, you know. And so he said to me, what do you want to do with your life? The classic classic cliche that a parent says to a young teen who's, you know, hates the world and is holding his middle fingers up to fuck the world. And I was like, I don't know, pop, I hate it all. I think the system is full of shit. It's I don't want to be part of the machine. I'm, you know, I was, I didn't say it, but I was raging against, raging against the machine. And and my pop was like, you're never, no one's ever going to listen to you. You got all these beliefs and whether I agree with you or not, I respect your hustle and your angle and your, your passion. And he's like, you'll never get anywhere. You're never going to make a change. You're an outsider. You have to figure out a way to fight the system from within. And I'm like, fuck that. I'm not going to be an accountant, some business dude wearing a three piece suit, hating my life, trying to change it from within. No way. And he said, try it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, Pop, thanks for the free lunch. Went on my way, five, six, seven, eight years later, I'm on Warner Brothers Records with Biohazard. And we're we're reaching a lot of people from a giant fucking soapbox. We caught a lot of flack because we went from independent labels to a major label, but our message never changed. And, we, and I kept singing and screaming about things that were just equally as important as they were on the first re- record, but with a giant megaphone and more people heard what we were saying. And I realized, wow, pop, you were right. I'm still, I still got a fucking shaved head. I still have the same beliefs, but I'm not the outsider. I weaseled my way into the system through the cracks, but with the same message. Anyways, maybe it's a little bit boring to some people.
1: No, it's, it, it's not boring. I think it's important to hear because, you know, there's a lot of people that are, you know, having that same conversation with themselves as they have a message, they want to get out and they want to, you know, change the world in some way or another. And, you know, not to say that everyone should take that route. I, 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 mean, I respect people who kind of want to do things their own way and say, fuck the system. That's cool too. But at the same time, like maybe if you play ball, you might actually get a little bit further. And, you know, you guys are a great example of that. Like how, like, you know, you can think what you want about MTV, but how many people did you reach with MTV like tens or hundreds of millions?
2: Beavis and butthead helped us reach a lot of people <laughs> that would have never heard of bioengineering. Right. But we, were, we didn't change the message. We we're still singing about the same things we wanted to do. You know, it was just suddenly they just, for some reason, gravitated to us, which I, I can relate to. But after all these years, if it doesn't suck or it's amazing, it's not worthy. You know what I mean? Right, That's it. Right. That's yeah. It one or the it. other. This has got fucking amazing or this fucking sucks. That's it. Everything in between is mediocre.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I did want to ask you a little bit about that. Uh, kind of those early days. I'm curious. What was your relationship with the hardcore scene, say, you know, before? urban discipline? Because I remember, you know, like I said earlier, you know, people said Biohazard was too metal, kind of like Life of Agony. It seemed like there was sort of that scene of, and, and you know, Carnivore and Typo Negative of these like kind of half metal, half hardcore bands that all played like the Moors. What was your relationship with hardcore back then?
2: I was the hardcore kid that went to CBGBs and Biohazard. I was a guy, even though they all liked hardcore, but I was like only into hardcore and punk. That's it. I, and the guys kind of, I had knew, I known about Sabbath and Slayer, but I didn't like it. I didn't, I, for some reason it was, if it wasn't hardcore, I would, I shut it out. The guys in biohazard actually turned me on to a lot more metal. So when we came up hardcore me, I was like the first punk rock band I played in. I told the guys, listen, they didn't want to do it anymore. That we were, the band was breaking up. I said, we're going to play CBGBs one day. They're like, nah, we're, no, we're not. I'm going to keep, you know, I'm going to stay focused on school. I'm like, that's, Fuck school! Come on, dude. This, this, play CBGBs. That's awesome. Um, So when we Biohazard was kind of an outcast. We were when we played with metal bands. We were too hardcore. When we played with hardcore bands, we were too metal. So we didn't fit in anywhere. And we what we ended up doing was creating. Like I said before, I called it, and I di- didn't mean this in a disrespectful way because I, I got Irish blood and there's uh, redheads in my family. But I said we were kind of like the redhead stepchild, where we nobody, you know. We didn't fit in anywhere because we also liked, there was hip hop influence and right. there was a little bit of hardcore, a little bit of metal. But I, when the, the New York hardcore scene didn't welcome us with open arms, it bothered me. It hurt me because the bands that I love to go see at CBGB's on Sunday matinees, that's who I wanted to fit in with. But I think sticking to our guns and doing our own thing made us more unique and made us more attractive to people who liked more than just metal or more than just hardcore or more than just hip hop. They're like, I like BC boys too. And AF, but I like fucking suicidal tendencies. We kind of, those people gravitated to us and we were, it was almost like it was cool to like a little bit of everything, you know, I, I, it kind of sucked because out of that coolness came the baggy pants, big over extra large t-shirts, but it was a trend for a little bit, but that open-mindedness at that era changed a lot especially in the new york scene and it and it kind of spread to the world and changed and opened a lot of doors for a lot of people and a lot of bands
1: yeah another thing that i became aware of later was how big you guys were in europe um i remember like from my understanding is so you guys were like almost like a mainstream radio band in germany is that right
2: i don't know about mainstream. i know that like it was a different thing we always sell in most bands sell the most records in the U S but geographically speaking it's a bigger population by far and it's spread out over a huge mass of land whereas Europe smaller population crammed into a smaller area you can go on tour in Europe and two weeks you can
1: hit all the major cities it's like touring the East Coast of America yeah or New England you know
2: whereas in the States it takes you two months to hit most not all But a lot, a majority of the major city, that's two months versus two weeks. So when you put that concentration, we always seem to um, play in front of way more people there. But playing in front of, you know, barring like cities like Miami, New York, L.A., Chicago, Detroit, the major cities, you know, you play in front of Des Moines, Iowa, unless you're Slipknot or, you know, you have to cross over a huge threshold. Of record sales to reach all those people and most of the records you sell in the states most of the people you know when you really hit the big leagues of like what their labels call um your major sales it's all in middle america but the other thing too like it's a big difference like like some of the biggest new york bands in the underground punk and hardcore scene you know you, you you're playing in front of like 1500 kids at at Lamar or you know the ritz or whatever but then the big when you're this equal size but you're from california you're playing in front of five thousand kids bands like pennywise or you know bad religion it's just geographically different in america than it is in europe so to say that we were a radio band i i think it was more so because of the geographic difference
1: got it well it seems like europe back then i mean i guess still but they really took to like doggy dog and mad ball and they they really liked the kind of like New York hardcore adjacent kind of bands, like almost more than America did. I'm, like all the Dynamo shit.
2: I think a lot had to do with it's like the the brand of New York was always big, especially when it hit when it hit Japan. Forget about it. It was like fucking right. it's massive. There's a certain allure, you know, and, and it's not like that anymore. I think people have individual identity and and pride, and whether you're from you know, um, I don't know, Tempe, Arizona. Or you know East L.A.
1: Right.
2: You know, but city. I think representing your your turf, whether it was New York or L.A., those were the turfs. Detroit, maybe. Um, that was like the cities that really represented hard. Right. And we knew right. Thing about Barons, it was funny. The media, and it was more so Europe that was like, you know, we one of our songs were well, Barons, you know, Bio-Rizzo from Brooklyn, New York, in your face. It was the end of a tag of a song. Um, for Wrong Side of the Tracks. And it just stuck. Maybe we put it on one T-shirt. Suddenly, every press release from every fucking label was like, it was like, buy Brooklyn couldn't be, it wasn't a sentence that didn't have the two words together. Right, right. And it was this, like, the media just, you know, it's marketing. And we, it wasn't an intentional thing. It just happened.
1: Right, yeah. Well, the, the Europeans, especially back then, were very fascinated by that. So do you, do you carry a gun everywhere? Like, yeah, no, no, not so much. <laughs> yep. Uh, cool. Well, I'll let you go. Uh, but I appreciate your time very much. Uh, excited to uh, see the, the rollout of the new record. I, I really sincerely enjoy it. And, uh, thank you for doing this.
2: Dude. I appreciate your time and support, man. Keep it up, bro. You have, uh, it's super entertaining what you're doing. It's awesome.
1: Awesome. Take care. Talk to you later. All right, my friends that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you if you want to help the show there's a couple things that you can do first of all share it on social media if you share it tag us tag finn mckenty that's me and tag deanna chapman that's a producer second thing you can do if you really 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 love us and really want to support us you can support us on patreon there's a link to that in the show notes you can leave a review on apple podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this or you can do none of that and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is that works too Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time.
0: Bowie. podcasts. Hello everybody. I'm Bruce and I'm Nolan and this is the corner of Gray Street podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMV, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.